Hey everybody, welcome in to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm your host, Greg Jones, and I'm the one leading you on this inquisitive departure into audio wisdom. I am so excited for the show today because this one affects me personally very much so. I'm going to be talking to certified trainer Alan Meisner. We're going to be talking about the ketogenic diet and other dietary and exercise type things. But first, I want to talk to you guys. I want to thank you guys because it's the one-year podiversary for the I Want to Know podcast. This has been a year-long journey of learning all sorts of things, talking to a bunch of people I would have never talked to. It has been so much fun doing the show. I've learned a ton of stuff. I hope you guys have learned a ton of stuff. I hope you've enjoyed at least most of the podcast. I'm sure you're not into every subject I've discussed, but hopefully you're into like, you know, 98% of them. I can't thank you enough for listening. I can't thank you enough for your feedback. Please always, always send feedback or questions or guest suggestions or topic suggestions. As some of you may know, I may not do that topic right away, but I do get to them and I appreciate you trying to help me out. So happy anniversary to you guys. Hopefully we have a, a few more good years left in us at the very least. And like I always say, you want to get in that feedback or those questions or those submissions you get them to I want to know pod at gmail.com. You can also use the contact form on I want to know show.com. You can go on Facebook, facebook.com slash I want to know show. You can go to Twitter at I want to know show. Leave me a message, leave me a tweet, like and follow all that good stuff. And also don't forget rate and subscribe on iTunes. Yeah, buddy. Anyways, on to today's show. I'm very excited about this show because it's something I've been doing for a little bit now. At the time of recording, I'm about three, three and a half weeks in, and this is the ketogenic diet. Essentially, it is high fat, medium protein, and very low carbs. And the, the idea behind it, you stop burning carbs, you start burning ketones, and I've very much enjoyed it so far. Not only is the weight falling off, and no, I'm not being paid by Mr. Keto or whatever to say this, uh, I find that I'm very much clear in the brain. I'm liking the results. I'm not hungry. I'm very satiated whenever I eat uh, you know, my, my keto-friendly foods. So enough about me. I, I'm just very excited to talk about this because I'm really, really enjoying it. Anyways, on to the guest, Mr. Meisner. Alan Meisner is an NASM certified personal trainer specializing in fitness, nutrition, and corrective exercise. He's the head trainer at Forever Fitness, and he's also the host of 40 Plus Fitness, uh, a podcast which you can get at older.fitness. Yes, www.older.fitness. Of course, you can get it on iTunes or probably just about everywhere you get this show. And I do recommend checking it out. By the way, he did have a really good keto podcast a couple months back. I listened to that and I enjoyed it. Anyways, Alan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Greg. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. You know, I've uh, recently got into ketosis and the ketogenic diet and all this stuff. And, and, you know, there's so much different information you find online, some good, some bad. So I thought I need to have someone on here that can help me and hopefully help a bunch of other people. So I'm, I'm glad you took the time out to join me. Well, ketosis is an interesting subject. It's something that I think there's a lot of uh, good information about. There's a lot of, like you said, a lot of bad information uh, and I think it's really important for, for folks to, to know kind of what's what with it because it is a valuable tool for fat burning. It's a valuable tool when you have uh, certain illnesses mm -hmm. uh, like cancer or epilepsy. And it's just some, one of those kind of things that uh, we don't think about because most of us have gone most of our lives being sugar burners. And we don't recognize that there is a, another fueling system that our body was built with that we could live just 
very, very well on, uh, but we've never really experienced it. So we, you know, just don't really have that, that paradigm in our lives because we've been raised to think that, you know, we need glucose, we need sugar, we need carbs in our diet. Otherwise we'll die. And that's actually not true. Yeah. That was something that was a, a huge shock to me. Um, yeah, I was always told, you know, in fact, when you hear, uh, you know, runners, oh, we carbo load before the race and that kind of thing. So it's, it's very, it was very, uh, different thinking for me before we get into kind of the, the nuts and bolts of it. Can you give us a little bit of your background and, and your history as a trainer and nutritionist? Okay. Well, you know, I've, I've always been, I guess what I would call a fitness enthusiast, uh, so to speak. Uh, when I was younger, I was always athletic, you know, playing the sports, uh, uh, you know, three or four sports during high school, lettering and most of them, just, you know, just kind of athlete. And I kind of bounced back and forth between the academic guy and then the, the athlete. Uh, you know, I did infantry in the Army when I was went to the Army because I just didn't want to think for a couple of years because <laughs> I majored in physics for two years before that. Uh, then I became an accountant and sat down at a desk and uh, really focused on this career thing because, you know, heck, they were sending me money right. uh, and put, depositing it in my bank account every two weeks. And I was like, well, this is pretty awesome. So I think I'll keep doing this. And I found myself, you know, doing very, very well with my career. But overall, my health was slowly declining. And it's kind of one of those things that sneaks up on you if you're not paying attention to it. So I kind of got into my, you know, late 30s, early 40s and said, you know, this is this isn't working for me. I'm, I'm very satisfied with what I've accomplished from a career perspective, but you know, I, I just don't feel good. And, and so I really kind of got on a personal journey of saying, what do I have to do now to get myself in shape? Because I'm not able to do the things that I really love doing, like, you know, playing sand volleyball, two man volleyball. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you get to do that in Los Angeles quite <laughs> frequently, but you know, I, I used to play, you know, competitively, uh, you know, almost semi-pro and here I was unable to, you know, play that game because I was, I was getting fatigued too early. And so it was just kind of one of those wake up calls for me is to say, okay, I, I have to get myself back in shape because, you know, one, I have a daughter and I'm eventually going to have grandchildren and all those different things that kind of go through your head. Uh, when you start getting into your 40s. Uh, and, and now I'm 50 and probably about as fit as I've been since I was 29 years old. So, wow. uh, you know, as you kind of look at your life and say, what can we do? You know, uh, one of the passions I have now in my life, and it's kind of what I'm going to call career 2.0, is I'm going to get, you know, I'm getting into uh, this personal fitness and the, and the personal training. And I want to help people like me that are over 40 uh, find a way to get back to healthy. And it's a it's a different challenge when you're over forty. I, I can promise you that. But uh, <laughs> something to look you know, forward to. That, that's why. Well, no, but get there first. Get there if you're in your twenties or thirties. By all means, stay healthy because it's easier. Inertia is like just this crazy thing with health. That, that if you're already healthy, it's easier to stay healthy. If you're unhealthy, it's harder to get that inertia moving to get back to healthy. So if you're healthy right now. Start moving more, start eating well, do it now because if you let kind of the job and the, and the fatigue and the stress and everything that's going to go on in your life push you down, you're just, you know, you're, you're going to lose that ground. You already have aging that's going to happen naturally. So anything you do to fight aging uh, is just slowing that progression and, and then keeping you in a better place. All right. So, so now we know a little bit about you. Let's, let's dive in. So 
for those that don't know, I mean, kind of the, the basics of a ketogenic diet is lots of fat, a little bit of protein, and, and almost no carbs. But what is the ketogenic diet? Okay. Well, what you're trying to do is, is basically the, the human body has two fueling mechanisms. And the one that most of us go on for most of our lives, we've been on sugar. And sugar is, is basically any carbohydrate that your body can then take and turn into glucose in the body. And then that glucose within the body fuels the brain and, and the muscles and, and all the functions within the body. Sure. Uh, and, and that's okay. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with being a sugar burner. Uh, we've been doing that now for centuries. And it's not a problem, but there's this other fueling system that we really don't tap into very often that has some tremendous benefits for us called ketosis. And that's where we effectively burn fat for fuel. And, and I think most people know that the reason they store body fat is kind of to have this, this reserve of fuel. And so if we end up with too much sugar or too much protein in our diet, we end up getting fatter. Well, that's, you know, that's a seasonal thing. It made a lot of sense 10,000 years ago sure. when we would go through a spring with all the berries and fruits and all the stuff that would go on all through spring, summer, and, and then into the fall, the nuts and everything. So we, we would, you know, put on fat, body fat, and then we'd get into the winter where if we caught a rabbit, we were lucky. Uh, if we preserved some food, we were lucky. Mm-hmm. And so we would kind of go into this 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 mode of burning through our body fat during that period of time. Well, now food is much more abundant. We, we have agriculture, we have farming, we're doing a lot of things. Now there's, there's more food, particularly in the Western cultures than we really even need. So we never have that feast and famine that our bodies were effectively adapted to do. So we do have the two, the two fueling systems. We just seldom now tap into that ketogenic, we, we tend to go with glycosis rather than the ketosis. So it's kind of like a uh, leftover mechanism from caveman days. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good way of kind of putting it. But I think that it, once we got into agriculture and, and we really started growing our own food and we were storing grains and, you know, learning how to take certain other foods and make them last for months, you know, so canning, preserving, all those different things that we learned over time, we were able to then make sure that we had food throughout the years. Now we can transport food from anywhere on the earth so we can always have fresh peaches. We can always have fresh right. apples. We can always have fresh whatever. And then now there's also been the adaptation where people are bringing in these processed foods that are you know, basically just – it's just a box of sugar. And no matter what's in the box, it's it's really just a big box of sugar because the the simple carbs and the sugars, well, they're just it's just sugar. So you know, in a, in a general sense, we we where we could just be sugar burners. Unfortunately, now we're putting way too much sugar in our body. In fact, in the 1800s, the average person ate two pounds of sugar a year. Wow! Can you guess how much we eat now? Probably like that in a week. We eat 157 pounds of sugar per year on average. Wow, that's a ton of sugar. It is. <laughs> but I mean, that's not just sacks of sugar. That's like carbs from bread and that sort of thing, right? Well, no, that's just added sugars to the food. That's not even wow. counting the simple carbs. That's just the sugars. And is that made worse because everything that says low-fat and fat-free has a bunch of extra sugar in it to make it taste not like or, cardboard? Or you wouldn't eat it. 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I buy this this non-fat tomato paste. I buy this non-fat whatever. You know, and and yeah, that to make it where we would want to eat it. And so, and and the other thing about kind of these sugars and artificial sweeteners and all that is they have walked our sweetness taste in our mouths. It just kind of walked us up. So as our palates developed, we've just developed to eat sweeter foods. So for someone that decides that they want to try the ketogenic diet, it, it, it is a, it is step change in behavior and, and it's not easy. There's a, there's, there's a definitive like point in time where it's hard for your body to do that switch. It should be relatively easy because if we were doing it every year as a function of the seasons, it would just happen. We would just naturally say, this is what's available. I deal with it and then I'm okay. Now it actually, it's actually a little bit harder to kind of take that step into ketogenic diet because of the fact that we've, we're so sugar dependent on our diets. Yeah. You know, uh, the sweet thing has not been a hard thing for me as much as giving up certain breads. You know, I, I'm a big yeah. fan of bread. I was to actually would dream about bread when I, when I started this stuff. <laughs> Wake up in cold sweats, needing a pretzel. Yeah, I was like, "Oh my god! I just, I just want to, I want a piece of bread." <laughs> That's hilarious. I haven't gotten that far yet, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I have that to look forward to. Um, all right. So, what's the difference between, like, say, keto and Atkins? They seem very similar. Okay, Atkins is effectively a ketogenic style diet, and it, it was probably one of the first that was kind of made popular by you know just branding and marketing. And the, the, the only issue that most people now have with Atkins is he didn't care what kind of fat you were getting. So he would kind of say, if it's vegetable oil, it's, it's still fat. If it's, you know, if it's uh, saturated fat, it's still fat. If it, wherever it came from, fat is fat. And, and back then, they didn't really have the science that we have now that, that clearly demonstrates that's not true. Yeah. Okay. And then it became uh, beyond a movement, beyond a book, because it started, you know, kind of as a, as a book and then on as a movement and now as a, uh, an industry in and of itself, you know, Adkins. And, you know, they have kind of, and, and a lot of people that are, I guess I would say purists in this, in this field have said that, you know, the, the original premises that Dr. Atkins had were really good, but the company that is now the Atkins company, because he's, he's passed since. Right. Um, is it's not holding true to health. They're, they're basically now just a marketing thing. And so a lot of people are very unhappy with some of the things that they're pushing to the market that are not really healthy. They're low fat, mm-hmm. I mean, low, low carb, but they're, they're not really healthy. So, you know, Atkins started as a, as a premise, as a study and saying, Hey, I think this is going to work. And for a lot of people, it, it does to a point. It, but, it, you know, it, then it became something else. And, you know, it's unfortunate that money changes a lot of things in the diet game. You know, it's not all about keeping you healthy. It's like, how can I make a buck? Right. And that's unfortunate with what Atkins has become. But, yes, Atkins is, was probably the first popularized diet that was based on on a ketogenic lifestyle. And, you know, I've, I've in research of certain foods, you know, I love tacos. I've been looking for, like, low-carb tortilla options. It seems like... There are some, but they are, you know, riddled with weird ingredients I've never heard of before. <laughs> it, I, if you if you if you can't grow it or kill it to eat it, if it wasn't alive, you probably shouldn't be eating it. Uh, you know, uh, there's there's nothing inherently wrong with corn, right? 
but we've we've damaged corn over the time again that's that's a money thing and diet and, and, and how kind of all that whole process works but if you could find uh, a basically what i would say is what corn used to be maize you know the old corn mm-hmm. so you know kind of one of those uh heter- heterage yeah something like that basically the historic what corn was yeah and you took that and made that into a cornmeal and then made a corn you know chip or a corn you know basically taco okay. shell yeah then then you would probably have a very healthy thing because you could put healthy fats into it. And then when you made your taco and maybe put a little bit of avocado in there and things like that, it, it probably wouldn't be bad for you. But now with the GMO and all the things they do to process the corn, corn is basically now just another version of sugar. I mean, corn and potatoes are kind of like the same. Just don't eat it. It's all sugar and bad for you, right? In general, yes. But, you know... And we're talking about ketosis here, so I'd say if you're going to try to go into ketosis, corn and, and, and potatoes are probably not the best food for you to consider putting in your mouth. Uh, but inherently, they're not bad foods. I mean, they provide energy. So if, if you and I were out and, and we didn't have access to a lot of food and we're, we're rummaging around, we're walking around and we happen upon a, a potato plant or a corn stalk, um, we're hungry. We're going to eat it. Sure. But we're not going to sit there and eat it every day as a function of every meal. We're going to sit there and eat the potatoes or eat the corn that day. And then maybe there's a few more stalks around that area we eat. And then we're going to move on. And the other side is we're moving a lot more. So we're burning a lot more energy. And so, you know, the, the whole process of ketosis is not just a, a function of saying, if I have more than X amount of, of carbs, I'm going to be out of ketosis or in ketosis. You know, the base reality is at times I need to probably be putting on body fat because I'm about to go into a famine. But, you know, reality today is there there is no famine. Right. So we're always in feast mode. So that's what that's the only problem we have now with the corn and the potatoes is the corn and potatoes has a season. If it's not now, if it's not agriculturally grown, it's going to have, you know, it just happens the corn seeds that fell the last season, they pop up in the spring. And so basically you're about a month and a half in, we used to raise corn. That's why I kind of know it's about a month and a half, (laughs) but (laughs) you, 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 there's corn stalks. And so now you have the corn stalks and you go ahead and you you pick the corn and you can dry some of the corn, uh, or you can prepare it in different ways, like make it into a meal or, or, you know, a a corn meal or do different things with it. And that you, it's portable and carry with you, but it's, it's a temporary food source. Mm-hmm. That then goes away. Potatoes, you can you can put lye on them, and basically they'll sit for a few months. So again, you can carry that for a little while, but then it's gone. Right. So without agriculture, without having total access, when you walk in the grocery store every single day of every year, there's always going to be potatoes. There's always going to be corn in the grocery store. There's going to be everything. Right. So we don't have the famines we used to have. So we don't really have that starvation mode, that, that time when we need to burn body fat to stay alive. I even remember, and I'm, I'm not that, I'm 30. I remember growing up, you know, there was corn season and there, you know, we grew up around a lot of strawberry fields and there was strawberry season. And, and during strawberry season, you went to the little uh, field market thing they had there and you got strawberries and the best strawberries in the world. But now you're around, you, you go to the you know, Vons or Ralph's, wherever you go, and you can get strawberries Whenever you want, winter doesn't matter, but they really don't taste as good. They don't, no, and and that's and that's another part of it is that they, because of the agriculture, they're they're far, you know the other thing we used to do is when we when we used to grow is we used there were seasons for stuff. So you're right, we would plant the corn, 
and in the later part of the season. We would have, you know, something else like squash or watermelon and those types of things in the beginning of the season. And we would start that. So you'd have the squash and the watermelon and cantaloupes and all those things you'd plant then in the spring. They would grow out. They would die. You would clear all that out. And then you would say, okay, now it's time to plant corn and beans. And you would start that. And, and then you would plant the potatoes. And so there was a season planning that you would do for all of these different things. Yeah. And then you could can them and you could, you know, preserve them and do those types to make sure that you had that over the, over the next season. But, you know, it, because of agriculture, because of the different things that are going on and now, you know, a lot of the Franken foods and the fact that they can <laughs> transport these foods from anywhere in the world. And, and that's another part of the nutrition is if I, if I want to get, some food from South America up here. So you have it, or I want to move it from Asia to here. Mm -hmm. So Kiwi, I'm going to move it from Australia or New Zealand all the way up here. Okay. Well, I have to pick that while it's still not ripe. Okay. Whereas in a normal, in a normal setting, you wouldn't eat some, if you walked up to a plant, a, 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 you know, a tomato plant and it wasn't ripe, you would wait till it was ripe. Right, exactly. But now they're going to take that off the vine two weeks earlier and then ship that up here. Plus, they've, they've bred out a lot of things because they want that uh, food to, to be a little bit more uh, capable of being moved. So yeah. they've kind of changed that as well. So, there, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of things about our current process, which is I think it was important to allow the population to grow the way it did and make sure everybody can get fed you know, in a cost effective means, but there are some downsides to it. And we're, we're seeing that with the obesity crisis, uh, with diabetes crisis, with heart disease, all the things that we're dealing with right now are the byproduct of what we've done to our food process. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Um, getting back into kind of ketogenic diet and then versus our normal, what we grew up with diet. Why is it that the word fat is so demonized? Why, why aren't we allowed to say fat or eat fat? Well, you know, there, 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 there have been a lot of, a lot of talk about how the federal government was trying to make decisions about how we should eat. And unfortunately, when a government gets involved in any kind of discussion, it gets political. Of course. Okay. And so I don't want to get political, but just to basically say that if, if I've got the grain lobby and the corn lobby and the potato lobby <laughs> and I've got them standing there handing me money and then I'm going to go into a committee meeting to decide what you should be eating more of. I'm going to say those things. Yeah. And, that makes sense. you know, and it's not inherently that those are bad things. It's just when you start look kind of looking at what people are trying to accomplish, you know, cereal is not necessarily the, the best food <laughs> for you, but you know, they have a great lobby and they have a lot of money. They're selling a lot of boxes of cereal yeah. um, and they're doing more than donating to your school. They're donating to your congressman and, you know, th they're going to have a say. And so if they can get them to say that you should eat more grains than you should meat, you know, if they can get them to say that saturated and, and, and the thing about fat is fat's like it's. I wish they almost wish they could have named it something else than fat, because when I'm trying to have a conversation with someone now, I have to say body fat, right. dietary fat, body fat, dietary fat. 
I have to say those two words together because if I just say the word fat, they don't know the context of what I'm saying. And so, um, you know, dietary fat, and it's kind of one of the funny things about the macros, of the, of the three macros, fat, protein, and carbs, there's only two that are essential that you have to have or you'll die. Fat and protein? Fat and protein. <laughs> because your, your body is made up of fat and protein. Makes sense. There's, there's no carbs in your body. <laughs> I guess that's You're, true. You know, other than, the, other than the glycogen that's in your muscle – to power you there's no carbs in your body you're made up of protein and fat and learning what i've learned and talking about what we're talking about it's so funny to think about you know the whenever they talk about cereals like in a commercial they always say it's part of a fully balanced breakfast and the reason i can say that is because they add uh synthetic vitamins and minerals to provide basically a uh, a number so when you look at it on, on your basic nutrition panel, it's got you know 25% of your vitamin A. It's got 25% of your vitamin C. It's got some vitamin B in there, but all those are synthetic right. added to that product. Whereas a, a three-ounce portion of steak has all the vitamin B that you'll need for a day. And it's delicious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, all right. So why are, you know, you know, you think here in America, like we have some of the best medical you can get. Why are doctors so against this sort of, you know, fat and protein, no carb diet? Well, there, there's two, there's two reasons. Um, you know, well, maybe three. One is, one is they don't know. And the reason they don't know is because nutrition is not stressed in their education. If you, if you ask your doctor, just go to your doctor and you're having a conversation with him. Like you, he gives you five minutes. You can ask him a three-second question. Sure. How many classes did you take on nutrition while you were in medical school? And if he tells you he took one course, then he's above average. Wow. Because they, just, they, they don't stress nutrition. Uh, and the reason they don't stress nutrition is who funds the medical schools. Well, the pharmaceutical companies do. And so the pharmaceuticals and the government and all that, they're basically saying, okay, well, I can't sell you health if you're just going to eat well. If you're going to eat well and stay healthy, then I can't sell you medicine. Yeah, there's no money in that. There's no money in being healthy. There's only medicine in curing you after you're not healthy. And then I, and then I think the other thing is, you know, you go to your doctor and just ask your doctor what he eats. Where does he eat? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, again, he didn't have the education. And I can tell you, I've had a doctor that outweighed me. I mean, basically, his BMI <laughs> was higher than mine. And I was like, he's talking to me like, you know, you, you know, you could really, you know, cut your blood pressure if you just lose 20 pounds. And I'm thinking, I wonder what his blood pressure is. Yeah, so could you, buddy. <laughs> you know, but and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Because, again, having extra body fat doesn't mean you're unhealthy. It, it, you know, you have health markers beyond the body fat, beyond the weight, the sure. whole thing. So you have to look at yourself holistically to say, am I overall healthy? And, and there's not one marker. I can't sit there and say, oh, you have too much body fat, therefore you're unhealthy. No, that's not a true statement. Some of the healthiest people in the world have more body fat than they need, but they're fine with it. Uh, some people have higher weight and they're fine with it. Some people have higher cholesterol and they're fine with it. 
It's, it's the total holistic look of your total biomarkers and your total health that's going to tell you where you are, uh, whether you're healthy or not. And so I think that's where the doctors are really struggling is they want to be able to just say symptom, diagnose, symptom, diagnose. And so high cholesterol, statin, high blood pressure, you know, beta blocker. You know, mm-hmm. they literally just – it's just – that they're, it's like that, that automatic. Now, the one they're going to choose, the statin they're going to choose or the beta blocker they're going to choose probably relates more to the rep that was in their office two days ago right. than it does to which one they think is actually the best one. The rep who took them out to a really nice lunch. Because they just don't have time to continue to study the literature. They're trying to make a living. So, you know, you do have now more and more doctors that are coming out and they're, they're, they're looking at this and saying, okay, we're not. We're not solving a problem because obesity continues to rise. More people are dying of heart disease. More people are dying of these preventable diseases. They're lifestyle-induced in, in, diseases, mm-hmm. and they're dying of it. And it's like, what can we do to help them? Because just telling them to lose 10 pounds isn't working. Yeah, and it really so, seems that they focus on a symptom or, or one thing. Like you said, oh, you have high blood pressure, take this, not – Oh, you have high blood pressure. Let's check out your diet or let's see your lifestyle habits or whatever. And again, they have five minutes to spend with you. So they have to have that, you know, that multiple choice question. If this, then that. And that's, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, it works. And I would say if I broke an arm, then yes, I'm going to go to my doctor and say fix my arm because he's pretty much going to be able to diagnose, you know, the broken arm. When we start talking about other health things, I think it's important for us to be our own health practitioner and make decisions for ourselves based on the, the, the things that we can research and learn about ourselves and about our health. And then now we're ready to make some decisions. And whether our doctor agrees with us or not, we're the decision maker. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of medical and, and and science and stuff, this the whole ketogenic diet something that's very new to me. You know, first heard about it a few months ago, um, and there's a lot of people that talk about, oh, you know, this is what I did. You know, kind of guinea pigs that doing this is what I did. This is what I do. Whatever is has there been a lot of you know research or science behind this? What is the science behind this? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think probably more of the research has been more about. Well, there's been two fields of research that I would say are. are, are the deepest one is that they have found that okay cancer cells need glucose hmm okay. okay your brain doesn't need glucose your body doesn't need glucose but your cancer cells if you have them do so a lot of people will go on the ketogenic diet to cure cancer and there's been some good studies that have shown that you can almost starve out a cancer cell by not eating sugar. Wow. By, by getting into a ketogenic state. Uh, they've used ketosis to help epilepsy patients. And they've used it for Alzheimer's patients. And so there, there's studies going on in those fields to show. But unfortunately, again, telling you to eat more fat, eat less carbs, eat moderate protein, get into ketosis – and that's going to help these conditions. Well, that's not a drug I can sell you. Right. None of that's something I can sell you. <laughs> okay. It's not. It's just you doing what's good for you. And so I can't sell that to you. So 
there's not a lot of funding for those types of studies. Those are the studies that are kind of coming out of universities or they're just coming out of someone's interested in this and they're willing to do a study. But unfortunately, because the way those studies are funded, they're just not, it's not compelling because they can't get large populations. They can't, you know, do it in a way that's the gold standard. So they're, they're, they're forced to kind of cut around the edges to say there's evidence of this. There's evidence of that. They just don't, they can't do something that's definitive because there's not enough funding to do that. That makes sense. Um, Whereas with a drug, I could do that. And then the other side of where it's where a lot of studies are coming out. And this is where, again, there's probably a little more funding for this because the folks that are doing this really care is in athletics and the capacity for an athlete to not be a sugar burner, but actually be a, a ketotic uh, in, endurance athlete or strength athlete. And they're finding some compelling things that say you can be just as good, maybe even better as an athlete on a keto, uh, ketosis style diet than you would be as a sugar burner. So, you know, the whole part you were talking about, I need to go ahead and I need to carb up before I do this endurance run. Right. Well, they're finding that when they get these, these athletes that, that train and, and get, 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 get into ketosis, well, okay, now they're fat burners. Well, you have enough body fat to run 10,000 miles. <laughs> so if you get to a point where your body will actually use the body fat you have as fuel – well, you're carrying your fuel tank with you. You don't have to carb up. You don't have to carb lo- carb while you're running. You can literally just run. And so there's there's a lot of compelling uh, science that's coming out about that kind of stuff as well. Interesting. And like you said, if it's you know being studied on athletes, then I'm sure there'll be a lot of funding from various uh, you know leagues and colleges that have good athlete pro- or athletic programs. So that'll be yeah. interesting to see how it turns out. Yeah. But again, it's not something that someone thinks they can sell. So the funding that's going to it is moderate. And so it's, you know, it's going to take a while to really build a body of science around it where, you know, we can definitively say you can be a top level elite athlete and be ketogenic and still compete at that high level. Uh, But it's coming. It is coming. Yeah. You know, one thing we talked about cancer, you also mentioned cholesterol. I've noticed I I track all my my food on a app called My Fitness Pal, and you can adjust the the goal the you know the goals for your protein and your carbs and your fat and everything. And one thing I've noticed since I've been doing this is my cholesterol intake has been much more than it used to be. You know how do we keep this in check? Do we need to keep keep this in check, or is this a problem? Well, my doctor would tell you I'm dying tomorrow, right? Uh, <laughs> because my cholesterol is pretty high. But the reason my cholesterol is as high as it is is because my high density, which is what they call the good cholesterol, uh-huh. is very high. Okay. So, you know, if you actually look, look at the literature, you start talking to these folks, well, the, the, the LDL, the, the low density, which is supposed to be the bad part, is just calculation. It's not, it's not a real number. It's just, okay, here's the total, here's what the – but the low, actually, there's a multiple different types of it. There's the big fluffy and there's a little bit more dense. And you, you, if you have the big fluffy, you don't care. It's that little dense part stuff that, that's actually the bad part. So hmm. you can have a particle count done. You can drill into cholesterol a little bit more. But I kind of like to look at it – you know, and, and it, again, anything you do in health, we all love these little general, okay, this is a rule of thumb and you know, if you have this, then you're great. 
that that's not how life actually works. We're a very complex organism. So it's, so anything I say here, again, I'm not a doctor, but I'm just basically saying the way I kind of like to look at it is this. If my high-density cholesterol, HDL, is higher than my uh, triglycerides, I'm fine. Okay. And, and, and what you'll find is a lot of people aren't in that situation. Their high density is so low, you know, like some folks are sitting on the, in the twenties or thirties with that and their triglycerides, you know, are a hundred. Well, mine's the exact opposite. My almost exact opposite. My, um, my high density is in the nineties and my triglycerides are in the fifties. So I'm almost two to one, Yeah, which is great. Now, what does it mean if I now have almost 90 in the high density? Am I going to get my cholesterol level below 170? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, want to, I don't want to reduce my high density just to get that top number down. Okay. Okay. So for me, I'm like, let's just look at those numbers. And as long as I'm managing those numbers well, I feel pretty good about it. Now, I have tried this experiment in the last uh, – I guess I'd say six weeks or so, nine weeks, where I'm going predominantly plant-based and I'm avoiding a lot of things that I used to eat. Like, so I'm not eating red meat, I'm not eating pork, I'm not eating chicken, I'm not eating eggs. Okay. And, and I'm eating limited, very, very limited amount of cheese occasionally. And, uh, uh, you know, for the most part, I'm, I would, the best way to part of class is to say I'm pescatarian right now. And what I want to just see with this period of time until I get another blood test is what it does to my triglycerides, HDL, and total cholesterol. What I figure is going to happen is my total cholesterol is going to come down because my HDL is going to drop like a rock. Okay. Okay. My triglycerides are probably not going to go much lower. So my doctor will be very happy. You lowered your total cholesterol. This is great. (laughs) And I'm like, well, now my HDL to triglycerides is is wonk. So I'm not happy with that because just lowering your total cholesterol. And here's another thing about food is to think about this. Just like I say we have to say dietary fat, we have to say body fat. Right. We have to say dietary cholesterol and body cholesterol. Okay. So realize that what you eat for food affects your cholesterol like two to, I mean, like maybe four to one. Sure. So, you know, just because you're eating a lot of cholesterol doesn't mean your cholesterol is going to shoot through the roof. Okay. It's just kind of one of those things to say, it's going to, it's going to, it can affect it, but it's not going to like be the end all be all. If you're, if you're just predisposition to have more cholesterol, you're going to have more cholesterol. It doesn't matter what you eat. I could go down to just eating plants and I would still have it, it. Technically, I believe I would still have high cholesterol. Just a part of your DNA. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And and so you know, and realize that a lot a lot of healthy people have high cholesterol. So you know, don't think of fat, don't think of cholesterol, don't think of those things as terrible things because in reality, you do need cholesterol. Cholesterol is a building block for testosterone and other hormones. Hmm. I didn't. So know that. you you kind of like having testosterone, don't you? Of course. <laughs> okay. So if you didn't have cholesterol, you wouldn't have a component to make testosterone. Interesting. Do you think that people uh, who are on the, the or men especially, they're on the keto diet, get more cholesterol, get more testosterone? Do you think that it kind of helps in maybe more sexual related departments? Well, okay. I'll put it this way. Uh, you lose body fat. You look 
fitter. You feel better. Right. Your energy is up. Yes. You're thinking more clearly because your brain is being now fueled by ketones, which they love. So all those things now have made you a, a better man, <laughs> both, both actually and you feel like a better man. Now, yeah. now you go into the bedroom and you're there with your significant other. What do you think? Of course, you're going to enjoy sex more. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, unless. I'm the unless man. Right. Because look, <laughs> I, you know, I'm 20 pounds lighter. I'm, I'm as fit as I was when I was 29 years old. So, yeah, I'm going to enjoy the hell out of my wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, all right. So me personally, I've lost. Uh, I've only been doing this for a few weeks at the time we were recording this. In the past about three weeks, I've lost about seven pounds. Um, and I'm sure very soon I'll hit some sort of plateau where it's not just falling off like that. But is that a normal thing to consistently just kind of shed the weight? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, you probably, I'm guessing you went through a little period of transition there. Uh, what we, we tend to call keto flu. Uh, it hits some people worse than others, but basically huh. what happens is there, there has to be a switch over and your body's sitting there like saying, I need, I need carbs. I need carbs. And you're not, you're not feeding me. You're not feeding me. And, and it has to do that switch over. And so your energy levels kind of drop a little bit and then they start to pick back up. And once they start to kind of pick back up, now what's happening is you're having ketones that are, that are getting into your, into your brain, fueling your brain. And now you have this kind of this enhanced energy. You probably felt that, right? Yeah. Kind of a, maybe a lull and then a pickup. Yeah. And I've really noticed it in my mental clarity. There you go. And that's the point is the brain loves ketones. Yeah. You know, at first, maybe the first, uh, about after maybe a week and then for about a week, I had some pretty good headaches and that was kind of the worst that I got. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was your, that was your version of keto flu. Okay. For some people, it's a little bit rougher for others. It's, it's a little bit easier, but you know, once you get past that, now you're into ketosis uh, your body basically is going to sit there and say, okay, I can, I can take in the fat that he's eating. But if you were to sit there and say, I'm going to now try to do maybe intermittent, intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will do that. Once they start a keto diet, they'll basically say, I wake up in the morning and I'm not hungry. Yeah. I've had that a lot. And it's like, okay, well I'll just wait till lunchtime to eat. And then they wait till lunchtime. And it's like, someone reminds them, you know, well, aren't you, aren't, you know, aren't you going to eat anything? It's like, well, I haven't thought about it because you stop <laughs> thinking about food because, again, we're carrying around, you know, 100 days worth of fuel on our body. Yeah. Or better. And so we don't we don't have to eat. But, you know, eventually, yeah, we just like the the sensation of the food and sitting down and eating with a family and doing those types of things. And, you know, we'll eat. But, you know, yeah, your, your body will naturally start consuming. And, and you're right. It, it can and it will probably level out. You'll have to make sure that you're. You're not eating too much protein and you're kind of looking at your energy levels and saying, okay, if I, if I do a hard workout, does that, you know, do I need to do a little bit of refeeding? Uh, some folks will do a carb refeed every once in a while that'll mm -hmm. kind of bring them out of the ketosis and then they'll, they'll ease back into it. Uh, you just have to kind of play it by ear. You know, the, the funny thing is if we'd been born and then like there was a user manual that we now can carry around with us yeah. and when we have a question, we can flip into it. There's no user manual, right? And we're and we're all unique. Our own little chemical experiments that have been going on for all these years. Everything we've been exposed to, everything we've done, all our genetics, all our epigenetics, 
we're, we're constantly evolving and growing as an organism. And so what you need and how you need it is going to be unique to you. So just, you know, don't be afraid to tweak it a little bit and say, you know, okay, I'm going to try the intermittent fasting or, you know, I'm going to try my exercise in the morning versus the afternoon or, you know, those different things because you'll find that you can kind of uh, not necessarily reboot, but you can break through those plateaus if you're willing to go ahead and get do some of that self-experimentation. That makes sense. Now, is the reason we're not so hungry, you know, it, it, you know, if you are on a normal diet and normal, I mean, carbs, if you don't eat, all of a sudden you're getting cranky. Uh, you can't think as well. I mean, you're like, I need to eat now. I need a Snickers bar, whatever it is. Is the reason that we can kind of go longer without eating because you're burning fat and you haven't run out of carbs in your system? Yes, because what happens is this. Let's say, okay, I have a, I have a carbolated meal for breakfast. Uh, so I'm going to have a bagel with some peanut butter on it. You know, I'm going to have a coffee with some sugar in it mm-hmm. and maybe a piece of fruit. And that's my breakfast. So my blood sugar is going to go up and then immediately my body's going to say, okay, there's too much glucose. We need to regulate this and it'll force uh, insulin into my system. So I'll start, my pancreas will start just dropping insulin. And so the insulin will get in there and I'll say, okay, let's take this excess sugar and let's store it as, as fat. And then as soon as the insulin kind of builds up and it starts doing that, well, now it's about 10 o'clock in the morning and my body's like, oh, I feel like crap. So now I'm going to go get into the coffee with sugar in it. Mm-hmm. Raise the blood sugar again. And so we constantly are kind of going through that piece. And that's why a lot, you know, a lot of people will uh, say do six small meals a day to keep your blood sugar relatively level. And that's where that came from is, yeah, if you basically had six very small meals per day, you keep your blood sugar at, you know, kind of a steady pace during the day. Sure. So what we're doing is we're looking at it and saying, okay, well, we're eating fat and, and moderate protein and very low carb. Uh, and the carbs we eat, we're very selective about making sure, okay, we're getting our fiber, we're getting our vitamins, we're getting our minerals. You know, we know what we're eating these things for. So as we kind of go through now, our blood sugar can't really spike because there's there's no additional carbs and there's not excess protein for there to be a buildup of glucose in the blood. So there's never that insulin surge. There's never that insulin hit. Okay. So we never have the crash of blood sugar because – Basically, it's saying, okay, here's fat in the food you just ate. I'll use that. Oh, well, there's no fat in the, there's no food. We'll just start using the body fat because we're naturally inclined to want to burn the fat. And that's the only time when you're in ketosis that dietary fat and body fat serve the same purpose. Hmm, okay. Um, what about fasting? I've heard people say fasting to get you know either into ketosis or just to help maintain ketosis. Is that a good thing? Well, I, I'm not going to say fasting is a good thing because I, I think you need minerals and you need electrolytes and you need certain things in your body on a regular basis. I mean, yeah. you flush out all of your water-soluble vitamins, your B and C vitamins. They just flush out. And so you're, you're, if you go fasting, it's possible that you're going to have some issues not having enough vitamin C or vitamin B in your body. So I'm not a huge proponent of fasting beyond maybe an intermittent fast where, you know, you'll go and say not eat until maybe two o'clock in the afternoon. And so from two to eight, you you eat. That's your eating window. So it's okay. a six hour eating window from two to eight. And then you'll go, you know, the remaining 18 hours without eating. And what I've found is it actually is easier to do it the other way around is get into ketosis and then intermittent fasting is very easy. 
That makes sense. Versus, yeah. versus when you try intermittent fasting, what you're going to find is if, I, if I'm not in ketosis and I try intermittent fasting, I have to walk my first meal up. So I'll say, okay, normally I would get up and have breakfast at 7 o'clock. What I'm going to do tomorrow is I'm going to get up. I'm not going to have breakfast until 8 o'clock. And then the next day I'll try nine o'clock and I'll slowly try to walk that up to two o'clock and then I get to that fat burning mode. But for me, it's always easier to do it the other way around, get into ketosis first and then focus on the fasting. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. My, uh, the guy I work with yesterday, I didn't have lunch till like two 30 and he goes, Hey man, are you trying to eat lunch later? I'm like, no, I just forgot I was hungry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. the way it works. Yeah, it was great. Um, you know, when I'm Googling stuff about uh, ketosis and, and things to be doing and not doing, I see a lot about what foods to eat or not eat and, and things to cut out, but I don't see a lot about what exercises and workouts I should be doing. What's, what's good to do on ketosis? Or does it matter? Just do any workouts. Well, um, kind of, I think before we kind of get into that, uh, what, I, what I'd like to kind of say is, is this, you know, ketosis is like a lifestyle where you're you're focused on body composition and fueling. Okay, so that's that's kind of that thing. It's it's kind of separate and discrete from what I would say when you start talking about exercise. But okay. but it comes back to that. So what do you want as a life goal? So, you know, like I'm a little older. So for me, I'm looking at wanting to be able to continue to play with my grandkids and, and kids and do those types of things is I want to be active as an adult. I want to have a, you know, a, a keen brain. I want to be able to do certain things with my life. So my life goals should drive my fitness goals. Sure. Okay. If I decided on a whim or whatever, I said, okay, cause I've done this before when I was around your age, I said, I want to run marathons. Okay. And so my, my fitness goals were based around running marathons. Now, the funny thing was back then is I was much more focused on being a sugar burner. So what happens when I'm training for a marathon as a sugar burner? I put on 10 pounds training for a marathon. <laughs> you know, I went from 185 to 195 just trying to train for a marathon. Now, as a bodybuilder, you know, was what I was mostly doing. I said, I'm going to try to run a marathon. I, I just put on 10 pounds to run a marathon. Uh, because of my fueling method. Yeah, it seems backwards. It is backwards. Because, uh, again, carrying an extra 10 pounds for 26.1 miles. but And then I ran a 50, uh, which, again, just <laughs> it, yeah. it was it was a goal. It was a life goal. I got it done. And I'm like, like Forrest, I said, okay, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Never again. And, yeah. <laughs> and I haven't. I haven't really done any long runs since then. Maybe a few short ones. But, you know, so what I would say is it, base your fitness goals on what you want to have in your life. So if you want to maintain strength, maintain speed, maintain whatever, then that's what you should focus your fitness goals on. And then what you do is you look back and say, okay, I want to be in ketosis because I like what it does for my brain. I like what it does for all these other things. It's like, how do I blend what I'm doing with this ketosis diet, what I'm doing with my life goals? And so something that might come up is you might sit there and say, you know, so I have the energy or so I'm like providing the glycogen stores to be able to do the heavy lifting I want to do because I want to be able to, you know, deadlift 400 pounds. <laughs> well, okay, I want to be able to deadlift 400 pounds consistently and I can. But the, the point being is like I know that I need to kind of have the glycogen in the muscles to provide that kind of power. Sure. So I may say the night before, 
because also eating a little bit of carbs before I go to sleep helps me sleep better. I'm going to go ahead and let myself have a sweet potato the night before. Okay. I want to go do that PR on the deadlift. So it's a little higher carbs, but at least it's, it's vegetable based. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not putting goo in my mouth. <laughs> no Gatorade. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it's just kind of one of those things of saying, I want whole natural foods, but I want to time my nutrients to fuel my performance in my life. So I might not be a professional athlete, but I have goals. So again, like I say, I know if I'm going to get up in the morning and, or I get up in the morning and okay, I'm on, I'm going to go play volleyball this afternoon and I say, okay, so I want to play sand volleyball. I want to have all this extra energy this morning. So I'm going to say, okay, what can I have as a natural carbohydrate in the morning that I, maybe I wouldn't normally eat? Like, okay, I happen to, you know, if I'm on vacation, I'm happen to be in Mexico and I say, okay, I'm going to play sand volleyball this afternoon. And so I probably want a little bit more glycogen stores. So what I'm going to do? Well, now there's this, you know, tropical fruit, which, you know, I normally wouldn't eat because it might drop me out of ketosis, but I'd say, I'm going to go ahead and eat that tropical fruit this morning. So I'm going to have some of that pineapple and some of that papaya. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a little bit of it. I don't have to have a lot. Right. But basically I know it's providing me maybe 25 to 30 grams of carbs, quick carbs. That'll go into my glycogen stores. And when I go out there to play volleyball this afternoon, I'm going to have that there as kind of that initial peak energy to get me going. And then I'll drop in. I'll still probably then be in ketosis or real close to it. I'll drop down into that and I'll fuel through the end with uh, the body fat. That makes sense. And that. It's good to know that, uh, I mean, you're still, I don't want to call it carbo loading because it's only 30 grams of carbs, but you know, you can still have that, you know, if you're going to have a, a huge hike or play volleyball, whatever, just, you know, a spear of pineapple to kind of get you going in the morning. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just knowing your body through that self experimentation. And so this is a kind of another thing I'd like to get into with this is there are meters for you to know if you're in ketosis or not, or how much you are, but there's. There's, there's three different styles of testing, and they're all different uh, in the quality, and they're all different in what they measure. And so I'll, I want to go through those really quickly. Yeah. Is kind of the easiest one is these things called keto sticks. And they're these little things you buy in a grocery store. It's keto stick. I mean, buy it in a, in a drugstore or pharmacy, and you, you pee on them. Okay. And for when you're first trying to get into ketosis, these things are really good because the, the element they're measuring uh, basically – turns them a color. So you'll you'll have almost a yes or no at that point whether you're getting into ketosis. Now, after a while, uh, so after two weeks of being in ketosis or so, those aren't going to work anymore because the 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 element that you're creating, that, that type of uh, uh, ketone that you're measuring in the urine, mm-hmm. your body actually starts then using it for energy. Oh, okay. So it's part of that, that mode of our body saying we need – all we can for energy. So they're not letting you pee it out. They're, they're using it. So that works to tell you initially as you start to get into ketosis and it's the least costly method for all of this. So you can buy the keto sticks relatively cheap. So if you're going to start, you can maybe buy a pack of these keto sticks and use them to know that you're getting into ketosis. Now, another one that's out and this is relatively new is a breath ketone analyzer. Yeah, I and, just heard about those. Yeah, it, it is. It, it, I think it's called the ketonics, and it's relatively new, but it's just a yes or no. Are you in ketosis or not? And so there's some value to that to basically knowing, okay, I am in ketosis or I'm not. But 
The blood test, which works a lot like folks, if, you, if you've seen someone who's diabetic and they poke their finger and they use that meter to tell what their blood sugar is, uh, this is basically the same exact meter. It's just a different uh, little stick thing you put in there to, to do the, the measuring. Hmm. And it will, it will test your actual blood ketone level. And that one's called, the for people in the United States, it's the Precision Extra. For people out, outside the United States, it's the Precision Neo. It's the same actual thing. It's just marketed different outside the United States. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I guess maybe that's a trademark thing. I'm not sure. But <laughs> um, anyway, it will tell you your actual ketone levels. And so to be in ketosis, technically, you have to have a ketone level, blood level of more than 0.5 uh, okay. millimeter, millimoles. And, uh, you know, so that typically takes someone, if they really get down low, low carb, moderate protein, typically takes them anywhere from three to five days to get to that point. Okay. But those, those little meters, the, the little, you know, the, doing the sticking and all at one, it hurts your fingers and two, those are not cheap. They're, I think, you know, the cheapest I've seen them is like 50 cents a piece. And so you can see if you're testing your blood all the time, that can get pretty expensive. Yeah, but uh, but you know, again, if you want to know that you're in ketosis, you want to monitor it. Uh, you know, that's the best way to know. You know how how far along you are in ketosis. What about? Uh, I'm gonna probably mispronounce this, but exogenous ketones or other okay. supplements. This is kind of a new thing that's that's really kind of evolved over, I guess, maybe the last two or three years. And the uh, the biggest the biggest funder of this, interestingly enough, is the Navy SEALs. Huh. And and the reason they're funding it is because they have they have the seals doing some pretty extreme things, and what they've found is if they can get the seals into ketosis, they don't suffer as much from some of the problems they have with the. Uh, it has to do with diving. I'm not a diver, so I don't really understand all the concepts of you know when you have nitrogen imbalances and all the things that go on with that. So. I can't really speak too much to that. If you're a diver, you probably know a little bit more about what that is. But yeah. um, the basically, they found that if they're in ketosis, they suffer less. Huh. Okay. So what they this this doctor was doing was looking for ways to basically kick up the ketones, the blood ketone level, without requiring them to go through the nutritional requirements to get into ketosis. So. They came up with these ketone salts. That was the easiest way for them to prepare the ketones for us to eat. Mm. Now, I tried one of his original products, and it was god awful. <laughs> and and this is a guy who was in the army eating MREs. So when I say something's god awful, it's bad. It's, it's bad. Yeah, <laughs> this was this was god awful. So uh, God bless the soldiers that went through this. Yeah, it was it was horrible. But um, just they're they're. They're an evolving thing, but I would just say you can sit there and eat a whole food diet with high fat. And this means you're eating grass-fed butter, you're eating fish, you're, you know, you're eating, uh, you know, grass-fed cow, uh, you know, beef, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, eating all these whole foods. And then you're having some high fiber vegetables, you know, asparagus and broccoli and, you know, kale and, and spinach and, you know, all of that. And, you know, just basically then in a mo- with the foods, moderate protein, low carb, and the carbs you are eating, try to make those more of the fibrous type, you know, vegetables. Uh, stay away from more of the fruits because they tend to have a little bit more sugar. 
mm-hmm. but then you end up in ketosis naturally. And it's just, you know, to me, that's a, a much better way. Now, if someone wanted to use these ketones, the way I found that they work the best for me when I used them was I would, I would cycle in and out of ketosis, which I wouldn't necessarily advise for everybody because it's, you're going through the ketone, that flu that we're oh, talking yeah. about, go through that all the time. You know, like I don't want to live my life that way where, you know, every two weeks I'm coming out and then I'm going back in and I'm dealing with this every two weeks. Right. Because it literally takes me five days to get back into ketosis. Oh, wow. So I would go out of ketosis for five days. I would struggle to get back into ketosis. Then I would be in ketosis and then I'd go like a week and a half and then I'd cut out again and it'd be like five more days. And so I found that those extrogenous uh, ketones were a good way to help me get through and get back into the, the ketogenic state, basically, get the ketone level of my blood up faster. And so I, the, 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 the flu-like symptoms things were lessened as a result of taking this stuff. But again, it, it huh. tasted horrible. Now, I think <laughs> they've done some things now. They've improved that product line a little bit, but it's still not a, like, you know, a great-tasting, wonderful thing to do. And, and, you know, like with any supplement, if you don't have to take the supplement form, just do the real food. You know, they're, they're, everything our body needs is naturally available to us. There's there's no reason for us to really consider supplements. That, that makes sense. Yeah, I saw it and I thought maybe this is too good to be true. But I, I like the fact that uh, if you're coming out and going back in, it'll cut down the ketosis flu. That's nice. Yeah, that, that can help. But, but it's just, again, it was just kind of one of those things that I said, okay, I'm going to try this and see what it does. And, you know, during the workouts, I had a little bit more energy during the, you know, got through the flu a little bit better. Uh, but, you know, uh, what I found is cycling in and out is not necessarily the best thing for my body. Now, other folks might enjoy that, might want to do that. Sure. Uh, you know, because, again, every once in a while you just kind of want to have, uh, you know, uh, uh, maybe a slice of pizza or, you yeah. know, go out and just say I want to, you know, have a couple of drinks of wine or a couple of beers with the buds or whatever. And, you know, you get out of ketosis and like, well, now how do I get back in? And, again, that might be a tool that someone could use to say, okay, when I want to get back in, this is something that's going to make it just a little easier. You know, you say something that leads me right to my next question. I have, I have two questions left, and then I got some listener questions that I want to throw at you. Um, sure. You mentioned going out and, and having a beer or two. I think we all know that, uh, especially beer, which is my favorite, is full of carbs. Is there any sort of booze that we can kind of supplement our beer habit with? Well, interestingly enough, there's there's actually now a kind of a bludgeoning business, and this guy's. He's friends with uh, Dave Asprey, which I'm guessing if you've done any work on uh, ketosis, you've, you've at least run across something that Dave Asprey's published Yeah, with his Bulletproof Diet stuff. But this guy's, I think he's kind of uh, buds with him. He's, he's been to his Bulletproof conference and whatnot. But he's focusing on kind of the old way that wine was made. And again, this doesn't necessarily relate to beer, so sorry uh, for <laughs> the beer drinkers. But uh, what they found, and I, I actually ordered some of his wine, and it's, it's good. It's a lower alcohol, lower sugar wine. And, and, and he says, and I haven't measured this, I haven't tested this, but I, I probably will at some point, is to say he does not come out of ketosis drinking his own wine. Hmm, okay. And what he does is he sources the wine and he tests it to make sure. Because he said, you know, the, the amount of time that they let the grapes grow, the amount of time they let the wine ferment, uh, different things that they add to the wine to keep it from sudsing and different things that they do in the industrial wine business. He said they're not doing in, in, in the wines that he distributes. 
So he, he claims, and again, I don't have any evidence to prove this, but he claims he has a wine that will not bring you out of ketosis. Interesting. I like the sound of that. Yeah. So, uh, it is something I'm, I'm looking into. I, I wish I had more information to share with you, but, uh, you know, that I, you know, the reality is that we have to have, uh, a, I guess a health life balance mm-hmm. and, you know, going out and having a few drinks with your friends. Reality is this, uh, social interaction is one of the key components to longevity and happiness. And so if you're sitting there saying, I'm going to give up all, all of my social interactions because they involve alcohol, I'm going to give up all these other things for the sake of this uh, ketosis or this health thing. Well, you know, you're probably not doing yourself a big favor in the long run. So you've got to find that, that balance that fits you. Yeah, turning yourself into Rapunzel isn't going to help you be a better person. Yeah, or uh, Terminator, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, last thing I wanted to ask you is just real quick, if you had, uh, you know, kind of a, a perfect meal, like di- uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner layout for someone, you know, that, that doesn't have a lot of time to cook in the morning, you know, someone that works in the morning, uh, you know, office job, whatever, what kind of easy breakfast, what kind of lunch could they throw together? And then what's, what's kind of like your favorite personal dinner? Okay. Well, if I started with breakfast, Probably what I would say that my, my favorite breakfast would be is I would probably take and I would uh, I would have two eggs that, that I would fry in grass-fed butter. And then I would take probably a little bit, just a little bit of smoked salmon with a little bit of cream cheese mm. and some capers. Nice. And that's something you, you can put together really, really quickly. Um, and, and that's probably about what I would do for breakfast. Okay. I've been okay, doing about, a lot of hard boiled eggs because I can do that the night before. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if you're in, you know, but reality is if you just, if you drop a little pat of butter down and the pan gets warm, don't let it, you know, turn the butter brown, but just let it get warm. And then you drop the eggs down for fry, depending on how really you want them over easy or, or well done. It's still not going to take you more than a few minutes. And even a boiled egg, a lot of times I'll do this. I'll, I'll drop the boiled eggs in, in the pot, uh, get them going. And once they start boiling, then I'll walk into, uh, you know, because I'll have my coffee, be making my coffee, getting that all together, mm-hmm. get this going, get over. So by the time I walk away, get ready to walk away, the water's starting to boil. So I'll walk in the bathroom, I'll brush my teeth, I'll shave. That that takes me right around eight minutes because I, I, I shave my head. If you show a picture of me, mm-hmm. you'll see that. So a total shave and, and brush my teeth is going to take me right at about almost 10 minutes. Okay. Walk back in the kitchen, turn the eggs off. And just move them over to a different uh, burner and right. walk away. And I can I can then come back to those eggs after I've, I've showered and uh, changed clothes and, and, and got ready. I can come back over, grab those eggs, and drop them, you know, basically into a plastic bag, baggie, you know, cool them off, put right. in a plastic baggie, and I can eat those on my commute to work. Yeah, that's what I love about it. You know, because they are that convenient. So, but you can you can work that into your prep in the morning. So it's not something you just have to do the night before. Because I actually like them a little warm. Okay. Uh, you know, to me. But again, it's, but uh, the frying them in the grass fed butter again kind of adds additional fat uh, that you wouldn't have had, and it's it's a good natural healthy fat because the the grass fed butter is a, a, a generally a healthy fat. It's going to have more of the omega threes than the omega sixes, which is the right balance you're looking for. Okay. Um, and then. If I come okay, so I'll probably have uh, I'll probably have a couple ounces of nuts uh, for breakfast. I mean, for a snack, mm-hmm. 
And when I do the snack, uh, what I typically do is make sure, like, if I'm going to do nuts or I'm going to do avocado, I will I will rotate it around. So I want to try walnuts, almonds, macadamia nuts, uh, you know, just diff- different things as I go along through each day. So I'm not like really onto the same thing because there's there's different profiles, mineral profiles, and vitamin profiles for each of these. Mm-hmm. They kind of give you something a little different. So I'll have nuts and whatnot for snacks uh, during the day. Uh, my lunch will usually be a, a big, what we call big ass salad, <laughs> um, which is literally, you know, I'll, I'll take one of those little tubs that they sell in the grocery store of yeah. organic, uh, you know, mixed in, in whatever. So it can be, I just buy something different every day. So sometimes it's spinach, sometimes it's uh, kale, sometimes it's a mixed, sometimes 50, 50, uh, spring mix kind of stuff. Um, I'll pick up something of that. I'll drizzle that with olive oil and then I'll do apple cider vinegar and then I'll usually like sprinkle it with a couple different things, like maybe some flax seed and uh, chia seeds, and then maybe some pumpkin seeds and things like that. Uh, and then I'll have a, a little piece of, uh, or a little maybe even a little can of uh, tuna with okay. that. So that'll be my that'll be my lunch. Nice. I usually do my workouts in the afternoon, so I'll I'll, I'll get off, I'll go over to the gym, uh, do my weights. That's why I kind of like that that tuna right then. It kind of gives me my, what I feel like kind of my protein kick as I get into this working out. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when I get off in the evening, uh, it would typically be to go home and, and have, you know, uh, a, a normal, what I would say, a normal portion of, of beef. Because again, we don't want to go too, too heavy on the protein because protein can be turned into uh, blood sugar if right. we get too much. So kind of have to gauge how much I'm working, how hard I'm working out and what I would need for protein. But kind of going back and forth, I'd probably have a protein like a steak or maybe even chicken. Uh, again, trying to make sure I'm getting some grass-fed butter with that typically, uh, and then just some basic vegetables, you know, asparagus, uh, you know, uh, broccoli, cauliflower, just something, you know, basic. But I'll make sure three-quarters of my plate is vegetables. Yes. And then just a little piece of meat, you know. Very, very important, yeah. I've been digging not only the cauliflower, but like the rice cauliflower and making, you know, like pizza dough out of it. That's amazing. Yeah. And and that's the cool thing kind of about a keto ketogenic diet is you can be doing the cheeses, you can be doing the butters, you can have those creamy, healthy, wonderful sauces that, you know, just feel good, make yeah. you feel full. And you can have those because they're part of what you're trying to accomplish. So, you know, there's no reason for you to feel guilty for having a creamy sauce, you know, on your meal. Because again, if you know what went into it, then you know what's going into you. Yeah. You know, one of the best things about the quote unquote diet is I'm, I mean, I kind of brushed up on this earlier, but I'm never hungry. You know, I'm always, I'm always satiated. Just, which is, which is again, why I tend to end up rotating into a, um, intermittent fasting because I'll wake up in the morning and say, you know, I'm just really not that hungry. I'll have a, I'll have a cup of coffee and I don't, I don't do the, the bulletproof coffee with all it. Just I'll have a cup of coffee and I, I feel fine. It's like, okay, I'll go to work and, you know, usually around two o'clock in the afternoon, uh, I'd be hungry. So I'll probably eat something just because I know I'm going to go work out. Yeah. So I'll eat something around noon and then know that my last meal is going to be by seven o'clock. And you know, that's, that ends up being my intermittent fast. Yeah. One thing I'm really liking right now is putting some of that coconut oil in the coffee and that helps hold me over even longer. Yeah. yeah I, I'm, I'm a big fan of guy. 
coconut oil. I've got tons of it. I <laughs> should buy. I wish I could buy stock and use it. If that was medicine, then the, the drug companies would be very rich off of me. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> All right, we got to get some listener questions because I promised that I would. Um, so Trevor writes in. He's been reading Grain Brain by David uh, Perlmutter. I'm sure you've heard of that. Uh, do you agree with David's concept that grains and carbs are linked to brain dysfunction, diseases, and cancers and other things? Okay, well, Trevor, I mean, great book. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you found that book because, I, I, you know, that's another one of those doctors I said was kind of getting out there and, and exploring this topic of food and how it affects our body. Now, wh- what I will say this is, you know, there there's a small percentage of people who are gluten intolerant. Their, right. their bodies, they just can't do gluten. Uh, it's poison to them. Mm-hmm. And then there's still another proportion that are sensitive to it. So it's, I guess the best way to say it is probably a continuum. Uh, there's probably some of us that could eat anything and live forever. Uh, but there's a lot of us that shouldn't eat grains. I can tell you if I have bread, which you know we talked about earlier, I, I dream about bread, <laughs> right. bread, at least up to a point, and then I, I forget about it. But when I was first trying to get off of bread, uh, there was an addiction there. there. There was something physically there that was drawing me to eat that bread. But at the same time, I can tell you if, if I sit there and I go and I, let's say I'm, 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 I was doing that normally, if I stopped eating bread and stopped drinking beer and pretty much just avoided glutens – I dropped five pounds overnight. Yeah. What is that? I, you know, there's no way I'm not burning. I want to go to sleep at night. I'm not burning 15,000 calories while I'm <laughs> right. asleep. So there's no physical way that I should lose five pounds. And I, I, maybe I went to the bathroom once, but I didn't stand there for 15 minutes. Right. That'd be a lot to of, rid, uh... to get rid of three gallons of water. Yeah. So what's happening in my body that's causing me to lose 15 pounds. And I can tell you it's probably inflammation. Okay. That makes so, sense. So, you know, like I said, we weren't born with user manuals. Uh, and so what, what I think Dr. Perlmutter is trying to do here is to say that there is something about our grain and it might be the new grain. It might, it might've always been the case. We just weren't aware of it uh, because once you're, fuzzy you don't you don't recognize the difference of not being fuzzy and being fuzzy mm-hmm. you have to go from one to the other to understand that they both exist so i don't know the real answer to that i would just say is try to go without grains for a little while and see how you feel yeah. do that elimination diet and just say if i don't eat the grains for a period of you know four weeks how do i feel and then if i add the grains back in what does that do to me yeah that makes sense um, he had a second question. He loves to ride his bike and run uh, really far distances. He's training for a marathon right now. Typically, after big workouts, he likes to do a little protein powder because it helps with his muscle soreness. But he's saying, I know in, in ketosis that you got to watch your protein intake. So should I lay off the protein powder and, and kind of have the slower muscles and the, the slower regeneration, or, or can I keep taking that? Well, I guess one of the things that I use quite frequently, because again, I, I told you I recently moved to a pescatarian diet. Right. And when you do that, you know, because I wanted to go completely plant based, but I'm not completely comfortable with most forms of soy. So I was like, well, where am I going to get my protein from? How am I going to make sure that, you know, I don't lose muscle mass and when I'm doing this? And so the, the, the true answer is branch chain amino acids. So if you're concerned about, 
recovery, concerned about muscle mass, I would say maybe try some branched chain amino acids. Hmm. And, you know, you can, you could try taking some of them right before your long runs, before your runs, and then some right after. And that way you're not really having to take in the protein that's going to potentially lead to uh, having additional blood sugar that takes you out of ketosis. But this would give you what your body needs from the perspective that, you know, these, these are the most essential of uh, the, the amino acids. So having something like that, typically what, what they found, and again, I just kind of going from the few studies that I've read about this is that will cut muscle breakdown. And if it's cutting muscle breakdown, in theory, it should help you with your, your pain and discomfort. Okay. Uh, listener Shannon wants to know how does keto affect men and women differently and should a female take a different approach than a male? You know, I know that with intermittent fasting, I've, I've read that women have more difficulty with, with that than with men. Okay. I, I haven't read anything that says that a, a woman would struggle more with ketosis or not do as well or, or have some issues with ketosis. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to just kind of defer back to that. There is no user manual for you. Um, so, you know, it's, if you want to try the self-experimentation, get into it, spend a few weeks there. And if it's working for you, then, you know, then keep on. If it's not, then let's try a different path, you know, cause it's really difficult to know everything that I, you know, everything with regards to your body, your chemistry, your, your time in your life, whether you're you know, 20 or 30 or 50, uh, you know, your body might react differently to trying something like this. So I would just say if you're, you know, if something you're interested in, then, you know, get yourself prepared, do a very good thought process of, you know, log what you're doing, you know, do journaling so that if you, if you notice, maybe your, maybe your hair is not, you know, is not looking as pretty, maybe your skin's drying and it's not looking as good. The, the different things that might be happening to you that are just, you know, maybe good or maybe bad, because mm-hmm. uh, you might you might find your skin's looking a lot better now that you're getting better fats in your diet and you're eating more fat, and so you're you, you know you're, you're you've got more like you said more mental clarity. You're feeling better. You know, your skin looks better. Your hair's looking better. Um, you know, all those different things. And you're you're locking that to say this worked to this point, and there's things maybe that you're struggling with. So a lot of people, you know, when they first start eating a little bit more fat, they find that okay have to go to the bathroom all the time. Uh, you know, they're changing their gut microbiome and that's causing them some discomfort. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that your body will go through during that period of time. I just say, do the little experiment, give it a little bit of time to, to set in. So I would say at least, you know, three, four weeks. And if it's, if it works for you and you feel good on it, then, then that's, that's the right lifestyle for you. Yeah, it makes sense. Her other question, which we don't need to spend time on, was are there any additional health benefits? So we've kind of touched that. You know, it's good for cancer. It's good for mental clarity. It, it's kind of just good good for you. So uh, give it, it a It's going to help with your body composition. And, you know, when they when they start looking at, there's you know, there's a lot of longevity studies out there. One of the key ones they look at is basically what what is your lean muscle mass? And the more mu- lean muscle mass you have uh, – typically the better your opportunities for longevity. So this is one of those things that's going to help cut body fat. It's going to help you maintain lean body mass. You know, it's been shown to have uh, brain uh, impacts that, you know, are dealing with epilepsy um, and, and the others. 
And then again, it's just, it, it's a lifestyle that once you're in it, it, you'll either love it or you won't. And you can kind of make that decision at that point. Yeah. Uh, our final question is from Joni. She asked, is it healthy to do, you know, once you make the change to do this for the rest of your life? Well, there's, there's two different schools of thought. There's one that says you should probably cycle on and off of it. There's other people that have stayed on it for years. I don't, we don't have any evidence of anyone that's just lived that way other than the Inuits uh, up up in uh, the, the north, way up north. And, and so these the basically Eskimos, uh, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. uh, are up there. And, and for the most part, they don't have access to uh, sugary vegetables or fruits. They, they literally only have, you know, leafy green vegetables during the summer. Uh, and then they eat seal, me- seal meat and fish and, and whatnot during the summer. So their diet is is, is purely fat and, and protein and a little bit of carbs, but not a lot of carbs. And, uh, you know, they they live quite well that way. So there have been tribes that have gone that way. And this kind of takes me to another another piece of this is that, you know, when we talk about ancestral health and all the things that go into this, this who you are is if, if you were raised, like my, my ancestors are from Northern Europe. And so I could probably pretty much tell you that my ancestors didn't eat a lot of uh, mangoes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'm, I, I know that I, from a, a predisposition perspective, probably won't handle those long run. If that became like a, a staple of my diet, probably wouldn't do very well on, on sugar. Probably so. Not. You know, leafy greens, fish, uh, probably what my ancestors ate more than anything is occasionally killing, you know, uh, a red meat animal, uh, that kind of thing. Maybe some birds, you know, just stuff. So when I start looking at what my ancestors probably ate, I, I don't know that I need to be eating one thing versus another. But I would say, you know, they didn't grow rice there and they didn't grow corn there for the most part. Uh, and so, you know. That's that's not something that I think my ancestors ate. So if you're from you know a more southern region, then you're probably going to be able to handle sugary foods a little bit better, sugary fruits and things like that a little bit better. If you live further north, then probably not. You know, more of the fruits and things that are grown up north have more fiber. So you're talking about cranberries, blueberries, uh, you know, leafy greens, uh, pears, apples. Those are the northern fruits. Uh, so someone who's from the northern regions is going to have more fiber in their diet uh, from those types of things than someone from the south. So kind of look at your yourself ancestrally and think, okay, what do I what do I really think my ancestors ate? And to me, that's a good basis for you to kind of start this self experiment. That's really interesting. I never thought about that. Now I need to go back do a little family history. Or you can do the DNA test like I did, and it'll it'll actually tell you exactly where your family came from. I like that. Yeah, and that's not that. It's like eighty bucks, and you can. You yeah, a like lot 90, of things. 99 bucks in it, they'll basically show you not necessarily your family tree, but they can literally map you out um, geography wise to say how much of any given difference you have. And I have like 2.8 Neanderthal in me. So it's <laughs> kind of an interesting tidbit that now I want to do it. That sounds really interesting. <laughs> Maybe I'll do it and uh, post the results on the show. Well, thank you so much for, for spending the time. I've, you know, I've looked into a lot of this and, and this has been even more enlightenment. If you guys like Alan and what he had to say, check him out on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast. You can get that at www.older.fitness. You can also get him at 
www.forever.fitness. You can find them on Facebook, facebook.com slash olderfitness and at olderfitness on Twitter. And hey, if you have questions, you want to get in contact with them, maybe uh, maybe do a little consulting for you. Check them out. Email them, olderfitness at gmail.com. Alan, thank you so much for spending all this time with me today. Well, no, Greg, this has been awesome. Thank you. Thanks again to Mr. Alan Meisner. Thanks for spending the time. Thanks for indulging me. I really, really wanted to do this podcast. And thanks to the listeners for submitting your questions. Uh, you know, when you submit your questions, I know I'm doing a topic you guys like. So thank you very much. Um, if you have any questions for Alan, like I said, don't hesitate to email him, olderfitness at gmail.com. You can get him at older.fitness. Yes, instead of .com, it's .fitness. Uh, also, forever.fitness on Facebook, Older Fitness, and on Twitter, Older Fitness. So check him out. Thanks again to you guys, the listeners, for this fantastical potiversary. I've enjoyed it very much. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If yeah, let me know. And don't ever uh, hesitate to, to contact me, talk about the show, ask questions, whatever you want to do. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash I want to know show. On Twitter, at I want to know show. Email me anything you like. I want to know pod at gmail.com. And don't forget to go over to I want to know show.com. You can listen. You can get guest bios, which has links to all their goods and their podcasts and their books, anything they talk about. And you can even send me a message from there. I have a favor to ask of you guys. If you have an iTunes account, I would very much appreciate if you got on there. Even if it's not your main form of listening to the show. Give me a nice little five-star rate. We love five stars. Five-star rating, a little review. Uh, it just helps the show uh, in the ranks and helps people find the show easier. And it's more discoverable that way. It's not just selfish reasons about wanting to hear how awesome I am. It does help the show out. So if you get a few seconds, please do that. Just search for I Want to Know in iTunes or the link is on the Listen tab at the website. Anyways, that's all I've got for you guys. So on that note, good night, everybody. <laughs>